Welcome to Look Ahead 2017, a series of podcasts by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research discussing the events, trends and processes to watch out for in the coming year. I'm Paola Buonadonna. Today I'm joined by NISA's Associate Research Director, Heather Rolf, to explore how migrant workers' numbers are likely to change and what impact this will have on the UK economy. So Heather, recently published ONS stats indicate that EU migration reached its highest level last year. Can you give us a sense of how much of a role migrants, particularly EU migrants, play currently in the UK's economy? They play a very important role in the UK's economy and one which has increased over the years, particularly since 2011. So we find that migrants from the older members of the EU are concentrated in more highly skilled roles in areas like science, um, in, in, in research, in the finance sector, whereas migrants from Eastern Europe tend to be concentrated in lower skilled jobs in areas like hospitality, food processing and social care. So there's quite a divide there between the older members of the EU EU and the newer members of the EU. And do you think that this trend towards higher and higher migration is set to continue in 2017? I think we always assume that trends such as migration are always going to continue on an upward path, but I think we've seen indications that that's not likely to continue. We haven't seen the figures post-Brexit, um, but migration is very sensitive to changes in the economy. EU migration is very sensitive to changes in the economies of, the con- of other countries across the EU. Um, and primarily migrants from the EU come here to work and they'll be really looking out um, for, first of all, what job opportunities there are, but actually also what their pay is worth as the value of, 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 of the pound changes relative to their own currencies. So actually we could be seeing uh, a substantial reduction of uh, immigration uh, way before the UK is actually out of the EU with new policies toward migration in place. Recent research by my colleagues at, at NISA suggests that EU migration to the UK could fall by well over half over the period from now until 2020 and that would result in net EU migration falling by more than 100,000. So that's a big reduction there. And I think those um, that reduction is likely to reflect, first of all, lower employment growth within the UK, so fewer, fewer jobs available. Secondly, lower levels of unemployment elsewhere in the in the EU, which means there's less incentive for people to, to leave their home countries and come to seek work in the UK. And the third factor is exchange rate changes, which make the value of the earnings of, that migrants can achieve within the UK lower. Another factor is, of course, the psychological and cultural factors, the perceptions that the UK is not somewhere that's going to be welcoming migrants, and also uncertainty about what their status will be, particularly new migrants. We don't even know the status of existing migrants, but people who are looking to migrate to the to the UK from elsewhere in the EU now will be thinking about how certain their future might be within the UK. So the question then is going to be, if there is such a, um, a dramatic decline in, 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 in migrant work that is available, who is going to do those jobs? Well, that is a big question and one that is troubling employers. And the employers who are particularly troubled are those in low-skilled sectors, such as food processing, agriculture, um, hospitality, social care and retail. And those employers in those industries have actually been thinking about who they might be able to employ instead of migrants for some time. It's often assumed that 
employers in those sectors prefer to recruit migrants. That actually isn't the case. They recruit migrants because of labour shortages and they've been looking at ways in which they might tackle those shortages. Now, number one on their list is to be able to recruit more young British people, um, but there are a number of barriers that they've experienced to achieving that. So some of, it, some of it's about pay, some of it's about conditions. Um, a lot of it, they believe, is about perceptions of the sector, and um, some of it, which I think they're also increasingly realising, is lack of career paths within those sectors, which make them much less attractive uh, to, to young people who've been encouraged, quite rightly, to have higher aspirations to go to university and to think of jobs that will involve an increase in pay and responsibility. Um, so employers in those sectors are really having to get their act together to um, increase their attractiveness to young people and that's not an easy process. Well, let's talk about pay because uh, a lot of British people would argue that the reason why pay is so low in certain uh, um, occupations is because there's been already available supply of, of migrants and therefore that you know, pay needs to go up. It's as simple as that. Employers do recognise that pay is a disincentive to recruiting local workers, but they say that if they were to increase it, um, then that would be that would be quite damaging for their businesses because in sectors like food processing um, and 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 retail and hospitality, any increase in pay has got to be passed on to the customer. So, is the customer prepared to pay more for their coffee, uh, more for their hotel room? Um, employers think probably not. That there's a limit to that. Is pay the only factor for employers or are other barriers towards employing more British people? I think flexibility is much more of a barrier than, than pay. So migrants are able to move around the country to, to different jobs. They're also able to increase or decrease their hours in a way that UK workers aren't. I think one of the barriers to UK workers taking low-skilled jobs is lack of their own lack of flexibility in terms of being able to move on and off benefits. It's very difficult for somebody who's on benefits to move into jobs on zero-hours contracts because they need some kind of certainty about the number of hours they're going to be working. And um, people with childcare responsibilities in particular would find it difficult um, to work in jobs where employers demand flexibility. So what steps are employers taking concretely um, to uh, recruit more British workers? So employers have been looking for some time or taking steps for some time to increase um, applications from UK workers. Those measures involve advertising locally, working with local schools, and some of that work with local schools is looking to change perceptions of the industry. Now, I think employers in those sectors have, for some years, um, believe that it's a problem of perception, not of reality. But I think they're now coming round to the reality, which is that their sectors are not offering young people a good deal in terms of um, career opportunities and pathways. So they're examining what their offer is to young people uh, and, to it, to, and to existing workers. Those steps are not new, but I think Brexit is providing a catalyst um, to look at um, what opportunities are available within those sectors and how they might make improvements. And of course, some of those sectors do have quite high proportions of migrants and those migrants will benefit um, from those opportunities too. And I would say we do know that migrants from Eastern Europe in particular tend to work way beneath their level of qualification and skill. So any opportunities within those sectors resulting from improved career pathways will benefit migrants as well as British workers. But the question people will ask is, why can't people who are currently unemployed, and we do have people who are unemployed in this country, do those jobs? 
That is a good question, Paola. Um, but the problem is that the jobs are not necessarily in the places where the unemployed people are. So, for example, we interviewed food and drink manufacturers who are way down in the southwest. The population there has a high number of retired people, also of, of, of young people and families. Um, but, but what they don't have is a big pool of unemployed people. Meanwhile, up in the northwest of England, you do have unemployed people. Now, could you move those people down? So we asked employers whether they'd thought about recruiting people from elsewhere in the UK rather than recruiting EU migrants. Um, but they said that housing was a problem, that you know they, they could provide temporary accommodation um, for their employees, and they do that for migrants, but not on the long, not in the longer term. So an unemployed person with a family in the northwest will find big problems moving down to the southwest um, because of our inflexible housing model. They'd find it very difficult to get social housing and there'd be a lot of upheaval for actually what then could be a temporary and insecure job. What about older workers? Well, employers, again, had considered older workers um, and in some sectors they'd had some success. So we've all heard about employers like um, B&Q um, employing older workers. And I think in, in retail it has worked. Um, but employers do say that uh, jobs in their sector, again, are not very attractive to older people. So we have employers in the construction sector who talked about the very physical demands of the job, which somebody in, the, in their 60s is going to find difficult uh, to cope with. And so I think where, where, where feasible, um, they would want to attract older workers. They value their, their experience, their maturity. Um, so in areas like hospitality, certainly, um, they've had some success there. Um, but, um, but employers did not see older workers as providing a big and long-term solution um, to, to their recruitment difficulties and certainly didn't see them as replacing EU migrants. Something else that we hear increasingly uh, about is automation, the role that automation could play in the future in certain jobs, particularly sort of boring, tedious, low-level jobs that people don't particularly want to do. Uh, do you think automation will play a big role um, in substituting migrant work? We asked employers after the referendum about whether they could automate processes and reduce their reliance on migrant workers. And um, their responses indicate that while that might be possible in some sectors, such as food processing, it's less of a less of a possibility elsewhere. Uh, the other thing to say is it involves a big upfront cost, and many employers won't be able to make that level of investments. It's also much more feasible where you have long long lines of standardised products, less so if you're producing sh smaller volumes of niche products. And I think what the UK has been very good at um, is the kind of niche specialist product, and that's much less adaptable to automation. So young people sound like the best bet for employers to turn to. What can be done to attract them? If, if pay cannot be pushed up, or not substantially up, what else can be done to make those jobs more attractive? I think the biggest way in which they could be made more attractive is by offering career opportunities and career pathways so that young people know that if, even if they start in a low-skilled and low-paid job, say um, in, in, a, in a restaurant, in a, in a hotel, in a food factory, they know that that's going to be temporary and that they're going to have the training and uh, career development opportunities that they want to enable them to take responsibility, to have a more fulfilling role and, importantly, to have a more uh, more highly paid job. If the UK is the end for a movement, what immigration policies should it put in place? 
I think when you come to look at, at highly skilled work, it, it's reasonably straightforward to, to simply transfer um, policies which are in place for migration outside the EU to migrants from within the EU. For low-skilled workers, that's much more problematic. We have not had policies that are geared up to low-skilled migration since 2008, which was um, the time that EU workers, particularly workers from Eastern Europe, became available. And the Labour government at that time decided to close um, the low-skilled migration route from outside the EU. So what we will need once we finally leave the EU is a policy in place which allows some degree of low-skilled migration into the UK and probably quite a high degree of migration uh, from um, the EU in, into the UK. As you said before, the Brexit vote was to some extent a vote against free movement. Are those kinds of policies likely to address the concerns of British voters, do you think? I think what we will see um, is um, an introduction in temporary uh, visa arrangements for low-skilled workers. And, and I think one of the reasons why that will be attractive to the government is that migrants who are here for less than a year are not included in the migration statistics. And if the government does continue to want to reduce migration levels to its target, um, then the more it can introduce temporary visas, uh, the more it's likely to meet its target. Now, it's interesting when you look at whether that would be acceptable to the British public. So. Yes, uh, the, the, the vote was, was against free movement, but when you look at the types of migration and the types of migrant that the UK prefers, they prefer migrants who contribute and who settle. Now, if you introduce a whole raft of temporary visas, you're actually introducing more churn into communities, um, more new migrants who just come and go. And we do know, um, you know from, from the response of people in areas like... Um, East, the east of England, um, where there's been a lot of churn, a lot of recent migration, a lot of coming and going, that's precisely the kind of migration that the British public doesn't like. Heather Rolfe, thank you very much.